And welcome to Miss Little Did She Know. On today's episode, I am here with Miss Kimberly Dandridge Esquire, and we will be talking about life after death. Kimberly Dandridge is a corporate entertainment lawyer for Amazon Prime Video and served as a corporate attorney for the Mobile Business Development Group and Amazon before moving to Prime Video. Prior to joining Amazon, Kimberly served as legal director in the global legal department at Gap Incorporated and provided legal counsel to the family of brands including Old Navy, Gap, and Banana Republic. In addition to practicing law, Kimberly is a published writer and has contributed to publications like Forbes, Teen Vogue, Hintinger Report, and The Whale. While in law school, Kimberly completed an internship at the White House under the Obama administration in the Office of the Presidential Personnel. Prior to attending law school, Kimberly graduated from the University of Mississippi with a degree in broadcast journalism. In 2012, Kimberly was elected to serve as the first African-American female student body president at the University of Mississippi. Kimberly has been honored on several occasions and has received several rewards, including University of Mississippi Hall of Fame, Diversity Activism Award, Women in Leadership Award, MPHC Achievement Award, and Because of Them We Can Award. Kimberly was featured in the ESPN documentary, Ghosts of Old Miss, on the front cover of the National Algia magazine and received honorable mention in the New York Times, Huffington Post, Washington Post, USA Today, and Clarion Ledger. Kimberly is currently based in Seattle and plans to relocate to L.A. to join the Amazon Prime Video studio teams in L.A. Welcome, Miss Kimberly Dendrick. So let's start with the icebreaker, okay? Okay. So the icebreaker question I wanted to ask you is, what is your why? For me, my why is my late mother, Deborah Lewis Dandridge, who was a phenomenal mother. My mother really instilled a lot of things in us and a lot of things that I really didn't understand growing up. She was really strict and hard on us. And I think when mm-hmm. we were growing up, I took a lot of it for granted. And I think now that my mother's no longer here, for me, it's given me a new sense of purpose and being living beyond her death and, and living you know, after she passed away, my whole purpose and why now is to really make her proud and to continue the legacy that she instilled in us. And so my why is really about that. It's about making my mom proud and living out the legacy and continue the life that she lived. And she was a huge cook and she was all about hosting and bringing people together and always doing things for people. And so a lot of my why goes directly back to her of like building community. I feel like my whole purpose in life is to build community, bring people together, bring together strangers and have people over at my table to eat dinner and cook for them. And so a lot of that comes from my mother and just building community. And she's given me a lot of my purpose and my reasoning for, you know, continuing to live even beyond like her death and dealing with her death and all the things that came with that and dealing with the grief of that. So you're very family oriented, huh? 
I am. I love my family. Because like, I know that you you like to cook. You like to host <laughs> things. Yeah, that's a a good character trait to have, you know? (laughs) I'm really close to my family. My cousins and all of us are super close. I grew up in a pretty large family and we're really, really close. And and since we're talking about grief, you know, one of the things that's really hard because my family is so close is that when we lose somebody, it's extremely hard because we are so close. And so I love my family. I have a group chat with my cousins, my sister and everybody. And so it's probably not a week that goes by that I don't talk to somebody couple times out of the week to my family or cousins or someone else. We're all really, really close and talk all the time. I completely understand. So as we're talking about like the grieving process, you know, grieving is a highly individual experience. You know, there is no right or wrong way to grieve. Don't you agree? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I agree with that. And I think that you know, I'm glad we're having this discussion because I feel like grief is something that we don't talk about as a community, especially within the black community. But it's That's something true. that everybody, it's its actually one of the things that human in nature, we all have in common. Like at some point we are going to ourselves die and we are also going to experience death, death of loved ones, death of friends, whoever it may be. And I think that for us to have this common thread of like something that connects us all, that we have to experience this, is something that we don't talk about. We all kind of shy away from the topic of death and dying and grief and what that means and how do we cope with it. And it's kind of like we brush it off and just go, you know, go about our days. But it, it impacts so many of us and it impacts all of us in different ways that I wish it was something that we talked about more and talked about how to cope with it and how to go on with life beyond. Because I think a lot of people bottle it up and they don't deal with it and it festers and it, and it progresses over the years and it, and it shows up, you know, the grief um, that hasn't been dealt with shows up in different ways. It's probably not healthy. And so, yeah, I definitely think that it, it's important for us to talk about this and yeah, it, it's something that I think we need to talk about more in our own community. I agree because like in the, with the whole grieving experience, like it's important to like be patient with yourself and allow the process to naturally unfold because you do not know what you're going to feel, you know, yeah, initially. Exactly. So it's just be, it's just to be open and honest about that. So that also leads me to one of the questions I wanted to ask you, because I know you're pretty self-sufficient and you're a strong you know, black woman, were you able to lean on close friends and family and with your grieving experience? Yeah. I, so I was able to lean on a lot of people. I had a lot of people around when my mom passed away. So when my mom passed away, I was um, in my third year of law school. I was actually oh, finishing wow. the fall semester of law school and I'd taken all of my final exams. Luckily, it, it just, the, the whole way the week worked was just kind of crazy. I'd finished up my last exam and my sister called me. She FaceTimed me um, and she was at the hospital with my mom and, and she was and my mom was in the hospital, wasn't really talking fully. And I didn't really think that my mom was that sick, that she was going to pass away literally a couple of days later. Um, and so I finished my exams. The next day, my dad calls. He says, hey, you may want to come home. Your mom's not doing too well. They said they don't really know. So come home. And so I, I go home. I start packing my bags. I'm like, oh, God, what's going on? I can't believe this. And then they called me back and they were like, well, everything's okay. She's talking. She's up. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm still going to come. So I ended up going home the next day. And thankfully, like I said, I was done with final exams, but it was the last semester of my um, law school, the semester before my last semester of law school. And so it, it was December. And so I ended up flying home and I flew home, I think on a Wednesday or Thursday. And I was able to, Thursday actually, I was able to be at the hospital with my mom and then she passed away that Saturday. And I remember 
when my mom passed away, I was like one shocked because I just wasn't expecting. I didn't realize my mom was that sick. I knew she was sick that year, but I hadn't really been home because I was in law school. And so I, it kind of came to me as a shock. And it came to a shock, not just to me, but in my family, but also my friends, like my friends who I was close with in law school, my professors who I was super close. They right. didn't know that like my mom was that sick or that she was going to you know, pass away in my last semester of law school. So it was quite shocking to not only our family, but also my friends, because they, they also had to like go into overdrive to see how they could, you know, support me and like be there for me. And I remember the night that it happened, my cousins and everybody were kind of, were kind of telling some of my friends and even friends in law school that my mom had passed away. And, and, and immediately everybody just started reaching out to me, whether it was friends from law school, whether it was professors, whether it was, you know, just everybody honestly was just reaching out. I think it was such a shock to me. And it was also a shock to other people. People don't really know how to go about it because, you know, it's just like, you know, some people haven't experienced that kind of grief and death before in their life. And some people have. And you can always. Especially a parent, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, that's I, a lot, especially at a young age. Yeah, I was 25. And so a lot of my friends, thankfully, hadn't experienced that. So they didn't really know how to show up. But they all did show up in ways. You know, they call, they text, they sent flowers. My law school classmates, there was a group of women that sent me flowers. The, the men in my law school got together and sent me flowers. And it was it's, it was one of the reasons, honestly, this is kind of off topic, but I was really, really thankful for having gone to an HBCU for law school because I went to Ole Miss for undergrad. PWI was super involved at Ole Miss. And then I went to Thurgood Marshall School of Law, which is Texas Southern in Houston, which is HBCU. Okay. And, you know, I honestly just can go on and on about how much love and support came from my HBCU. My mom passed. Oh, wow. That like, is amazing. Professors drove up to Mississippi and brought me flowers, like from Texas. And classmates drove from Dallas to Mississippi to come to my mom's funeral. Like, you know, classmates that I was close to, but never would have expected them or thought that they would drive all the way from Texas to come be with me. And, you know, and obviously there were friends from Ole Miss there, professors from Ole Miss there, but, you know, they're here in Mississippi. So it wasn't, you know, they didn't come all the way from Texas, but I just, the love that was shown for me from my HBCU and being able to go back to law school and finish that next semester, I went back in January and graduated that May, literally a month after my mom died, had to go back to law school and finish. Like, there's no way in the world I would have been able to finish law school anywhere else in the world. But because I was in HBCU, because I had a support system of people that were around that me, that looked oh, wow. like me, you know, that were supporting me, pouring into me. And they me. understood where you were coming from. And they were yeah. able to adapt and be that support system. Yeah. It was amazing, They girl. gave me so much grace. Like, they really did. Like, I think <laughs> my cousin, it's so funny, my cousin and I went to law school together. My cousin Whitney, she's an attorney now in Omaha, Nebraska. And we went to law school together and she jokes a lot about how, you know, sometimes I just didn't go to class. <laughs> this is even before my mom passed away. But sometimes I was just like, I just can't go today. And so she was like, I just don't know how you survived law school <laughs> because you would just, you know, do what you wanted to do. <laughs> and when I got back from when my mom passed away, I remember like it was hard to go to classes sometimes. Like there it was times where I didn't feel like getting up and going and I had professors who really just understood and they were just like, you know, had gone through grief themselves and, you know, gave me a lot of grace and was like, you take the time you need, you do what you need to do and we're here for you and I'm happy to support you and provide you, you know, the academic resource that you need and, you know, in any way that you need it. And so having that support system during that period was just everything. And so when you ask, like, did I have people 
around dealing with it, yes, I had more than I could ask for. Um, you know, it was new for me and it was new for a lot of people as well. But I felt like not only was I coping with it the best way that I could, but I think the people that were around me, friends, family, professors, they also were coping with it the best way they could. And at the end of the day, you know, they were able to support me and be there for me during a really difficult time. That's very, very deep because like grief can be so confusing, even sometimes frightening, a frightening type of emotion for many people, you know, especially if they have experienced something like that ever before, you know? So how were you able to cope with that grief and still remain level-headed years later? Because grief doesn't just go away, you know, you're able to get more adjusted to the new transition. But it just doesn't go away. So I just wanted to know, like, how do you stay, like, remain level-headed through it all? Yeah. And you said something so good. You learn to go through the different transitions. And I think that's so important because I think one of the things that, I'm not going to say it was false information that when my mom passed away, everyone was like, oh, it gets better with time. You know, they say that quote of, like, it gets better with time. And I think, you know, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the whole it gets better with time. I think I don't agree with it either. I it's like almost a slap in the face, you know, like yeah. that's like the worst thing to say to someone when they're going through hardships. <laughs> like, exactly. And I and I get better with time. Sometimes it can get worse. So you just have to like make adjustments, you know? Exactly. And I agree with you. And I think that, you know, I think that notion of like it gets better with time is kind of, is faulty because I don't think it gets better with time. I think you get better with time. You learn to transition and deal with grief in a different way. You learn to navigate life differently. You learn to deal with the void that's there. You know, it gets, it does get harder. I think this last December, December 12th, made five years of my mom's death anniversary. And, you know, some years it's like, you know, it it feels like it just happened, you know, even if, if it could be five years and I don't think that it gets better. So I think that for me, adjusting and being able to still stay level-headed, I think I've always, a mechanism for me has always been, one, writing. I write a lot. I've always written a lot. Um, since I was a child, I used to write a lot of poems and things like that. I don't do that necessarily anymore. But That's when amazing. my mom passed away, I immediately just started writing. I was like, let me just write how I'm feeling and what I'm doing to cope with this right now. Like, I want to write in real time how I'm feeling and what I'm doing. And as I'm writing this, I want to share this because I don't feel like there's resources out there for people that are going through grief. And so when I was writing or whatever, I was also like, when my mom first passed, I was like Googling. I just went into a Google frenzy of like mom death. Like how do you deal motherless child? Like all these, I was like Google on a Google spree almost of like, how do people deal with this? Like, what do you do? Like, what's the steps? Like, what do I need to do? And I was just sitting there Googling and there was nothing on there. Like there were very few articles even about dealing with like death of a mother or a parent. And I remember looking at that online to be like, dang, there's nothing out there. Um, And I want to write about my experience and I want to share kind of what I'm doing right now to cope with this in real time. And so I wrote, I was just writing an article to myself, like, you know, these are, this is how I'm coping, seven tips for myself of how I'm coping Uh with right now. And this is how I'm feeling. Um, This is how I'm navigating law school right now because I had gone back to law school and was just writing. So I ended up, I had gone to a Forbes 30 under 30 conference that year in October. My law school had sponsored me to go and I'd gone to the Forbes 30 under 30 conference and made some connections there. And I reached out to one of the editors at Forbes and I said, hey, I recently lost my mom. I wrote this article about what I'm dealing with with grief. I don't feel like there's a lot of articles about millennials dealing with grief. I'm just sending it to you. I'm sure you're probably not interested. You know, here's the article, though. I just feel like I want to use this work to help somebody else because there's nothing out there. 
and this is what I'm dealing with right now in real time. And the editor emailed me back the next day. She was like, hey, here's a couple changes here. We want to publish this. And I was like, what? You want to publish this for Forbes? And she oh, wow. Like, that is amazing, girl. I didn't know that. And so, yeah, so she published my article. And that was my first published, like, big published piece was in Forbes magazine. And I think the title of the article was Seven, uh, Seven Tips for Millennials Coping with Grief or something like that. And so oh, that is I amazing. That I article. didn't know that. Yeah, I published that article and they shared it on the, all of their platforms and all of Forbes to their millions of followers and things. And it was really kind of an outlet for me to really share how I was feeling more so. But it also, I, I've always felt like I deal with pain best when I'm giving back. And I found myself- I feel the same exact way. Yeah. That is so true. I feel that- it, 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 It's like it yeah. takes the low or the, the extended pressure to just let go and just help others. Yeah, you know? Exactly. And it seemed like your writing was a sense of therapy for you as well. Definitely. Absolutely. It definitely was a sense of therapy for me because it was something that I, my mom had always supported me writing. But then also it was a way of like, you know, I knew that I could write <laughs> and also publish something. But it was also a way for me to just get out there and be like, this is, you know, this is something that my mom has always said I was good at. And here's something even in her death, like she's she's supported me and, and made this happen in a sense. So it was it was therapeutic for me and it was also a way for me to help other people deal with grief. And I think the millennial the one of the things that I talked about in that article is so different I felt like for us grieving as a millennial because I feel like as a millennial we are so much more dependent on our parents than any other generation has ever been. And so when we lose a parent, it's almost like you lose a or a caretaker or a grandparent. It's like we're losing a lifeline that has been so essential to us that we've depended on more so than any other generation before us. And so I feel like the grieving process for a millennial is so different from like the grieving process for like a boomer or you know, other generations before us, because it's just like our we've we've our parents have been more of a nurturing and our caretakers have been more of a nurturing nucleus for us. They've been there for us in the middle of everything, you know, throughout our lives. And so, yeah, so I, I definitely think that our experience dealing with grief and, and losing parents younger um, as a millennial makes it even that much harder. I agree because, like, I think my grieving experience is similar to yours, but different in age. Like, I lost my grandmother, who was like my like my rock, my best friend, and I was only fourteen years old. And, you know, everybody in my family thought I was the one who was going to have like the serious issues with the grieving process or whatever. And I was actually in my mind, I was a very level headed, even at 14, because Mm. I knew that I had to keep her legacy going, you know. Absolutely. So I never wanted to like feel, I don't want to say necessarily weak. I want that emotion to be there, but I wanted to also continue to be the best version of myself. Any serious decision I ever do, I think about how my grandmother will feel about that decision. Like I always keep her like in mind and in tune with some, a lot of my adult decisions, even to this day. And it's amazing how dealing with grief, they don't tell you, when you deal with grief, everybody handles situations differently. Like how you said writing things down was your sense of therapy. And I can say for me, I used to write a lot too as well, but I can honestly say I always wanted to always keep myself occupied. Mm. Something like productive. I was eating extracurricular activities, whatever that I could possibly do 
to, I won't necessarily say fill a void, but keep me occupied so I won't have to feel so sad and depressed of, of losing someone who meant so much to me, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's so important. I think that's the biggest advice I give someone is, you know, definitely take your time and grieve and have a process in place to grieve however best you feel, you know, whether that's, you know, being at home and grieving and or going to therapy, but also like, you know, don't, don't stay there, you know, get out and be, you know, try to try to bounce back as, as slowly and as possible as you can. It's best for you, you know, to, to stay active and to get involved in the community, give back. It's going to help in the process because you can't, I think the, the biggest thing that I learned is you can't stay there. Like you have to go and get up and try to live with that void at the best that you can. Yeah, to be the best version of you. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you or, or talk about how to deal with the um the grieving process, you know? There are many ways to cope with grief. We talked about different ways. Come to terms with grief and find a way to pick up the pieces and move on with your life. And I was reading an article by the Help Guide, and they listed six different ways to deal with the grieving process. And I wanted to see, do you agree with some of these uh, okay. ways? They said, so your step number one, first, you have to acknowledge your pain, what you're feeling, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And step number two, accept that grief that triggers many different and unexpected emotions. Mm-hmm. Like it's okay to feel what you're feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. Understand that your grieving process will be unique to you. Mm-hmm. Seek out face-to-face support from people who care about you. Mm-hmm. Support yourself emotionally by taking care of yourself physically, as well as recognize the difference between grief and depression. Mm. So those are some um, key facts and key things they, they, they were giving us to actually help to deal with the grieving process. And even with the grieving process, there are also five different stages that I researched talking mm. about was actually the denial stage. Mm-hmm. The denial stage as in this cannot be happening, mm-hmm. like being speechless. Their anger phase where it's like, why is this happening to me and who's to blame? Also the bargaining phase where make this not happen and in return, I'll do this. Mm-hmm. Have you ever experienced that before? Yes. <laughs> I, I know I have personally. And then you also experience the, the depression phase. I'm too sad to do anything where you don't want to like even leave the house or anything. And then the last and final stage of grief is the acceptance stage when you're finally at peace with what happened. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and I thought those were some interesting different stages of grief because they all are valid. Yeah. And they all right, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think that the points that I'll start with the points that you mentioned about the ways to deal with grief. I think that all of those are great. I think one that I definitely had that I did right after my mom passed away, and I don't think I would have been able to finish law school without it. They mentioned talking to people that you care about and people that know you and things like that. And I think that's super important. But the other thing is I say, seek out professional help too. I'm a big advocate for going to therapy. I go to therapy now. I have a therapist that I see every Saturday. And I tell everybody to to go to therapy for anything, honestly, like just to have somebody talk to this, a neutral person, you know, it's good to have friends. It's good to have family, but having somebody who can give you an unbiased opinion, they don't know you from Adam and Eve. Like they just, they're just giving you their perspective and their thought is so helpful. And it's helpful for me to just process anything, honestly. And I feel like I'm more, a better grounded person, even from this year, the work that I've done in therapy this year, I feel more, I feel better, like just 
dealing with their things in therapy this year. The other thing that, that, you know, I tell people is to take time. Like it's no, like grief, grief has no set time pattern. So you can't put limits on like, okay, at three months, I should be, I should be over the grief or at, you know, this point I should be over the grief. Like, I think you have to give yourself grace to know that it's a process and it's a journey and it's going to come and go and it ebbs and flows. Like it's no set time or period that you're going to grieve. And so I think that the second thing is just give yourself grace. And I totally agree about being active and being, you know, involved. Like, I think that helped me so much when I was in school was being active and involved in school and still going to things, not sitting in my apartment, you know, mm-hmm. long by myself, opening the windows, letting my friends come over to bring me food. I even, and another thing that I, I wrote, and I actually, in my article for Forbes, I actually shared my six tips. And one of the things that I talk about a lot that really helped me was a lot of self-care and like physical self-care in the sense of like, I went and started, I really got into getting massages. <laughs> I never got massages oh, that's before. Amazing. And I started going to the spa. I started making it like a once a month thing. And I know that can be quite kind of pricey, but a lot of people may not know there's a lot of massage places you can go and get like a $30 hour massage somewhere. I started investing in that once a month at least. It was kind of almost in addition to my therapy, like my actual therapist that I talked to on the you know weekly basis, I added in a, a massage therapy. I was like, okay, I'm going to go to therapy. I'm going to have a massage therapist and I'm going to go. And, and granted, I'll just give a disclaimer. Like I know that those things, you know, take resources and it's a privilege to be able to have healthcare and things like that. And so, you know, I definitely will tell people, you may have to do some research to try to find resources that free resources for therapy. And also, you know, the massage thing definitely is a luxury, but I highly recommend, you know, doing something like that where you're giving yourself an hour to indulge in something that can kind of take your mind off. So I did therapy. I did massage therapy. I leaned on my friends. I, you know, was doing physical stuff like exercising and stuff in law school. Eating better helped me a lot too. I went to a nutritionist um, because I wasn't eating the best right after my mom passed. And she's the one who actually recommended my therapist for me. Oh, and, that's amazing. Yeah, and it was, a, it was actually, it was, to, it was a black doctor I went to. She was a family doctor, nutritionist. And she was like, you know, you're just going through grief and you need to go to therapy. And she was like, I have a therapist for you. And she recommended the therapist that I ended up going to in Houston. And it was super helpful. And so those are just some of the things that I did kind of cope with my grief, leaning on my family and friends, in addition to all of that. The other thing I would say, so I agree with all their steps that they they mentioned taking grief. I would just add those points. The other thing that I, when you mentioned this different stages of grief, one of the things that I Googled, I, I mentioned that I was Googling a lot of things when my mom passed away to try to figure out what, what should I do? How do I deal with this? And I came across those different stages of grief. Friends bought me books, actually, that talked about the different stages of grief. And one of the things I learned, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, um, Dr. Jones, but I think for me, my experience, those different, I think when I was reading them, they made it seem like all those phases would come in that exact order. So like, you know, the denial phase would be first. And then once you got out of the denial phase, you would go to the next phase and you would never have the denial phase again. What I think I gathered and I learned is that those phases are all true, but they come and go at different time periods. Like you may be in denial one day and you may be angry the next day, but then you go back to denial. Like there was no like, I'm done with denial. Like even five years later, sometimes I'm like, I can't believe this is real. So I think that those stages are true, but I don't, I tend not to agree that they go one by one. I think that they, just like grief comes and goes, I think those phases also come and go. Yes, I think that's so true. You said that to the best of your ability. I really do agree with that because it's like there is no right or wrong way to grieve. 
Yeah. All, we can list all these different stages and all these different steps, but all these points are valid and you just don't know until you're in it yeah. and how you're able to cope and move forward in your grieving process. Because you, know? you, may, you may have one anniversary one year where you're like, okay, I accept this and I'm fine and I've accept, I made peace with it. And rather, I'm like, cause it's, peace is more for me. It's like you're making peace. You haven't accepted it in 100%. But I think some years you're like, okay, I can't believe this is real. Like, so you're back at the denial stage. I just feel like it's kind of one of those things that the phases are never, you know, done. Like they come and go just like the grief. It's And they don't come in a particular order. They kind of come and go however they please. They're, they're emotions that we have no control over. And, you know, anger, you know, sadness, um, denial, they're, they're emotions. And so I think just like grief, we don't have any control over the grief and we don't have any control over the emotions that come with grief and how they come. But I do think that those emotions, you know, they show up in all of us when we deal with grief, but I don't think that they come in in a particular order. I completely agree with you. And uh, any of the listeners out there, if you're experiencing any of these emotions following a loss, it may help to know that your reaction is natural and that you'll heal in time. However, not everyone who grieves goes through all these stages, exactly what Kimberly just said. And that's okay, okay? Definitely. You do not have to go through each stage in order to heal. Mm -hmm. And it also talks about, like, I did even some more research, talks about some of the emotional symptoms of grief, such as being shocked and the disbelief. Mm -hmm. That also goes hand-in-hand with the denial phase, you know? And the sadness and guilt. I know for me, when my grandmother passed away, I actually had a little guilt a little mm-hmm. bit because, you know, I was in school. I wasn't always at the hospital or like, you know how sometimes your family, especially with me, I was a little bit younger. So my family was really big on, they really don't want children to see yeah. um, their loved ones suffer. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually have a little bit of guilt about that. And I, I know for a fact, I do have guilt not speaking at my grandmother's funeral. Mm-hmm. I think out of all the decisions I ever made, that's about the only decision that I regret to this mm-hmm. day, honestly. And it sometimes still bothers me because I was strong enough to do it, but it was like, I just couldn't do it. It's mm-hmm. like me actually speaking. It would have been me like fully accepting this and like my whole thought process at that time was like, I, I can be strong for my family, but I just can't speak in front of people. Yeah. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. And like, I think that's by far like one of the only things in my whole life that I truly, truly regret not doing. Yeah. And I had so much guilt that comes with it. Like to this day, it really bothers me because like, I, I wish I would have done that, you know? Yeah, no. And I, I I think that we all go through some form. Um, I, I know speaking from my own experience, some forms of guilt. Like I, I remember my mom died in December and I think the last time I had been home maybe was, it was months. And so I hadn't seen my mom. And so then when I came home, I was like, why didn't I come home? I beat myself up about it, felt guilty. You know, we had to make a call at the hospital whether they were going to resuscitate or not. And then, you know, after she passed away. I was like, did we make the right decision? Should we not have made that decision? You know, all these things going through my head. So I think that, you know, the guilt factor is normal. And I think it's something we all kind of go through and process and have questions and, you know, come back to time and time again. And so totally normal, I think, for for us to feel guilty. And even for those, feel like I said, those feelings of guilt come back up years down the road when we think we're healed from it. And it, it's it's still there. It really is. Like it really, really is. In what ways are you 
do you feel like you're being perceived and that you're not aware of? I don't know. Um, that's a really good question. Perceived in in like the public like public perception or you know like in that's that's another thing that I also have issues with too because like public perception you may think I'm one way, mm-hmm. but if you really honestly get to know me, I'm cool. I'm yeah. laid. I'm chill. I'm funny, you know. <laughs> but on the outside looking in, you probably be like, "Oh, she's just a goody two shoes," you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I mean, that's how sometimes I could be perceived like a know it all. Maybe sometimes I'm I'm the complete opposite. Like mm-hmm. I'm the most chill, laid back. I'm I'm gonna tell you how I feel, but <laughs> I'm the most nicest person ever. Like I I'm willing to help anybody that asks me for help. I have no ill feelings towards anybody. So I just wanted to ask that question. See, did you feel or did you know any type of ways that you may be perceived by your peers? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think that one of it's funny because I think that a lot of this has to do with the fact that I've dealt with grief and my journey with grief in some sense has been pretty, you know, when I passed, so when I passed the bar exam in Tennessee, it was five months after my mom passed away and I ended up sharing my journey on Facebook. And my post that I made on Facebook about me passing the bar had like 99,000 reshares. (laughs) It went viral because I posted about, you know, my mom had just died. I was dealing with grief. I was depressed. I sat for the bar exam. I didn't think I was going to pass the bar exam. And I passed the bar exam on the first try. And, you know, and I was sharing my journey with people about it. And it just went viral. Like it just, people were just amazing the journey wanted to hear about it whatever whatever and when I started working at the law firm you know people it was kind of like people were like man I can't believe you you're practicing law eight months after your mom passed away and like you know you're you're crushing it like people have this perception that like I was so strong and like I think that even even today that still exists like my friends are like you know they don't check in on me and stuff because they're like oh you're the strong like you you've been through a lot so you're really strong like they don't it's like, it I think because the fact that I've gone through grief and I've done, I've conquered hard things and been through hard things, they figure that I'm going to get through everything scotch-free and I don't need any support. When sometimes it's like, I'm really burdened down and I really do need extra support and I am tired and I am weary and, you know, I am going through a lot. And I think that being perceived as the strong friend or the strong peer, because you have gone through grief particularly grief of a a mother that people, I would say people tend to perceive that as like, you know, something traumatic, like you lost your mother at 25, you know, and people look at me and I think that, oh, she's so strong. She can go through anything. Like we don't have to check in on her. And I think people perceive me sometimes to be stronger than I am when it's like, I am sometimes still struggling. I am, I do get weary. I do get discouraged. Like I have bad days. And I think that sometimes it may not look like that because it looks like, okay, she's cooking. She's doing the cooking classes. She's doing it. Yeah. She's doing okay. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Like she's got this, you know, she's got that, you know, and then people don't see like, what it takes to get that you know it takes a lot of blood sweat and tears it takes a lot of you know I'm staying busy to to keep from going crazy you know what I mean it's like it's it's true I agree with everything you said because I feel the same exact way like out a lot of my friends and different groups of friends I'm they I'm always perceived as the strong friend (laughs) like things is just okay you know she's okay she's strong she's able to accomplish this and that and sometimes you do have your moments where yeah. you need some encouragement and some support. Absolutely. But being the strong friend ain't for the faint. I must say <laughs> that. Not at all. Not at all. For sure. I agree with you. It's definitely not. And I think it comes with 
comes a lot of responsibility. But I will say one thing that I have enjoyed just in this journey is that I've been able to help my friends who are going through really hard times. Like they look at me as like somebody they can call when they're going through something. I had a friend who lost her dad and we have grown really, really close and have just really supported each other and been able to walk this journey of like losing our parents together and have been a support system for each other. And I feel like I was able to be there for her in ways that other people couldn't really because we had experienced the same thing. And so, you know, not the same thing, but, you know, we had experienced grief and, you know, living with the void and having to go on without somebody we really cared about really brought us together on a different type of level that I think that a lot of our other friends don't get. That's deep, girl. That is very, very, very deep. (laughs) In what ways achieving your life goals how would you feel and do you feel like you can accomplish that and have that fulfillment along the way? Yeah, you know, it's so funny you talking about goals because I was talking to a friend yesterday and we were talking about whether I had written my goals for 2021 and I am guilty. I have not. <laughs> and 2021 is like tomorrow <laughs> and I don't have any goals set yet, but I need to um, and think about them. And it's so funny because I feel like my life, I sprinted into my goals very young. Like I sprinted into my financial goals very young. I sprinted into my career goals very young. I became a a licensed attorney at 25, working for a really large law firm in Memphis, Tennessee, making the money that I wanted to make. That was my 30-year-old goal, making it at 25. And so I reached my career goals very young. Like, you know, I wanted to work at a large firm. I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. I became a corporate lawyer at 25 and then wanted to live in bigger cities, moved to San Francisco at 26, lived in San Francisco, got an opportunity to go to Amazon, to go to Gap and work at Gap and then went to Amazon. So I feel like I've sprinted so fast forward in a lot of my career goals. Obviously, I have other career goals and that I want to accomplish, but I need to really think about what those are and how I want to go about doing that. I know for sure that I want to continue to develop in my career, potentially one day do something in leadership in a company. But yeah, I I don't know. I don't have it like a clear path kind of sketched out because one of the things I will say too that I've learned, none of the career opportunities that I've had, I planned for. Like I didn't plan to go to Amazon. I didn't plan to go to Gap. I didn't even plan to go to Butler Snow in Memphis to join that law firm, but it just happened. And, you know, I've just kind of, everything I've done is kind of fell together. So I've kind of stopped being so specific in what I want to do, but just kind of having like a general idea. (laughs) And having that general idea has kind of led me where I want to be and where I want to go. And I don't know what the, especially I just turned 30. I'm thinking about what's this next decade going to look like for me. And I really need to give some thought about like what those goals are, because like I said, I never, to be honest with you, I never even imagined me being in-house, being in-house corporate lawyer for a company. Because when I came out of law school, it was very well known. Like if you wanted to be a corporate lawyer for a company like Amazon or Gap, you had to be at a law firm for six six to eight years. That's kind of, it's very well, it's still known even today. Like you have to have law firm oh, wow. before you go in-house. Well, I went in-house a year after, a year and eight months after law school. So my, my trajectory was very different. And so I kind of, like I said, got a little bit fast track on that trajectory and being a corporate lawyer and kind of what that looks like for me going forward. I really need to give it some thought because I haven't thought about it as of late. That's very honest because I can honestly say that what you're talking about, I'm, learning to do now like 2020 had like literally put (laughs) a lot of things on hold for me and I'm very type a I have a to-do list Uh (laughs) I have my goals listed like for 2021 I'm going with the flow yeah like I'm more so like I have an idea of things I want to do or whatever but I don't have like a set day set time set month or 
I don't have like the key specifics. I just have like the ideas, but nothing set in stone, you know? And it also takes away that pressure away from me too, where I could just relax, you know? Absolutely. And I think another thing for me too this year, I want to focus, I've been saying this for the past couple of years, but I, I, I started last year focusing more on my personal goals because I focus so much on career and like, you know, being this boss career person that I don't think about a lot of planning my personal life. And there's a lot of things I think that I want to do personal that I haven't thought about, like, you know, that I really need to think about and personal goals of my own, like, whether it's, you know, buying a house or having kids, like things that I really want to do in the next couple of years that, you know, I need to think about. Like, I feel like just as much as we think about our careers, we need to be thinking about the things that we want to do in our personal life and planning for that, you know, and, and thinking about that because if we don't, you know, we're not setting ourselves up for success in our personal lives, which we should be. We shouldn't just be setting ourselves up in our professional lives, but we also should be setting ourselves up in our personal lives because it just is important. I always tell people like if if I'm if my personal life is in shambles, everything else is in shambles. You know, you have to have a balance between, you know, the work and and your the personal life as well because one impacts the other. I completely agree with that. Well, Kimberly, I am so blessed to have you on this podcast episode. Is there anything that you would like to leave for the viewers? I appreciate you having me on today and super excited to talk to you today and I'm glad that we were able to talk about a topic that I feel like is so important and so needed in our community. So I'm happy, really happy and excited to share this space with you. And I thank you, Dr. Jones, for having me on and to share this journey with you and also to talk to you about um, all the things. (laughs) I know, right? So I do want to do a takeaway. And this is a standard question that I ask everyone at the end of the episode. And I wanted to ask you, what are you pretending to not know? All possibilities open up when we stop deceiving ourselves. Is there something in particular that you know you should be doing, but you're not doing it currently? Hmm, That's a really good question. I love that. I think I should be setting bigger goals for myself. And I'm not doing that currently because I feel, sometimes I feel limited by what I don't know. (laughs) But I feel like I'm not, I feel like I'm putting ceilings on on myself. Like I'm putting caps to what I can do. and I shouldn't do that. I should be encouraging myself that there's no limit to the things that I can do. But sometimes I feel myself holding myself back from myself. <laughs> and so I feel like that's something that I, should, I should, probably shouldn't be doing that I'm doing. And I need to be speaking more truth to power and encouraging myself that there's no limit to the things that I can do. And there's no ceilings and barriers that I can't break down. And I don't feel like I do that enough with myself. I feel like I do it with other people. But when it comes to myself, I come up with excuses of why I can't do this. If I say, I want to be at this level in the next five years, it's like, oh, are you really going to be there though? Are you capable of doing it? Like I'm talking myself out of it rather than talking myself into it. And I should be talking myself into it, but I'm talking myself out of it. And so I think that I should be speaking more life into myself and speaking more truth to power to myself. Amazing. Kimberly, thank you so much for your transparency. That was very, very deep. <laughs> Well, that's all for today's episode of Miss Little Did You Know. Thanks for listening, and thank you to Kimberly Dandridge Esquire for joining me today for sharing her wisdom and insights on life after death. Join us again next episode, and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, so you never miss an episode. Plus, if you haven't already done so, stop by our website at www.misslittledishyouknow.com 
and check out for our latest news. That we could have said, uh -huh, yeah. if time was on.